Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danton, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Len Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strohlight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. All right, all right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Cafe Bitcoin, episode 413. I want to say good morning to Ant, Jacob, all of you Cafe Bitcoins out, Cafe Bitcoiners out there. I also want to introduce Marcos Falcone. Uh, we have Evangelista Bitcoin. We have Adam Dub. I'm not sure if all three of you guys are familiar with Millie and involved with Millie, but we're going to be digging in with you guys here in a little bit. There's some really interesting things happening in Argentina in regards to the leading presidential candidate is a hardcore Bitcoin advocate. I say hardcore, my opinion. Um, now, whether that's good or not, we shall see. We all know the history of, of politicians in Bitcoin at this point. However, he does say some very interesting things. You know, he's, you know, in his interviews, he seems to have a pretty libertarian bent. He he bashes fiat money pretty regularly. Uh, so that's pretty interesting. Also, other things we've got going on. We've got Brian Jacoteau. I hope I said your name right. If I didn't, please, please help me out here. This gentleman is an American lawyer. He's a Bitcoiner. Um, and has written some very interesting threads in regards to the XRP case. We're going to be covering that too. And then later on in the show today, we've got Geyser coming on to talk about powering and funding the Bitcoin renaissance. So good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for joining. Thanks for being here. All right. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here. Hi, Alex. Good morning. Thank you for the invitation. Great to be here. Alex, you handled that pronunciation perfectly, so nice work. Thank you. That's uh, a very interesting name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, good morning to Tomer Strolight. I want to shout out to Rizzo in the audience, throwing you an invite if you feel like coming up. Also, I want to shout out to Andre. Uh, Andrew Began, excuse me, not Andre, Andrew Began, um, with uh, who I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Jacob, he connected us with these gentlemen um, who are familiar with Millie. Check one, two. Good to see you guys. Thank you. All right, guys. In general, just a couple of uh, points of kind of... Uh, Housekeeping, if you're not actually speaking, please mute. So that helps us avoid things like echoes and things like that. 
Um, and then we'll dig in. Finishing the intro for the show, by the way, our mission for this thing is to provide the signal in a sea of noise, teach the other 7 billion people on this planet why there's hope because of this bright orange future that we call Bitcoin. Um, why don't we dig right in? I don't know which one of you guys, uh, if you have a spokesperson or um, someone who wants to lead the conversation on your side, but tell us a little bit about who you are, how you um, are know or are connected to this presidential candidate in Argentina? What's going on in Argentina? Um, and, and why do you think um, he's leading in the polls right now? Sure, Alex. Well, I can start uh, speaking and introduce ourselves. We are three libertarians. Uh, a few years ago, we started doing a, the first libertarian party of Argentina. And through the party, we met Bitcoin because one of the party members was a Bitcoiner very early on in 2011. And this member proposed to the party why, why don't we accept donations in Bitcoin? Uh, I guess we, we were the first political party in the world to, to accept Bitcoin donations at that time. And suddenly that party ended in 2013, but it was the kickoff for libertarianism in Argentina. Uh, Millet, this candidate that is now in the number one position to become president in Argentina. Later, we are going to explain how these elections were not like a real election, but it was like a primary election, let's say. But this candidate came from being an economist. He was known, but little by little, he started going to the media, getting uh, getting known, and uh, well, it's been a rise to the top. And another thing that is very interesting to note: why Argentina, right? Because this might be the first libertarian president in history. And to understand that is that Argentina has been a mess, and it's in a mess right now. Uh, it's been a monetary disaster since the beginning of the 20th century, uh, since we introduced the central bank, we've been through five different currencies. So we've killed five different currencies and we've taken out 13 zeros in total of all of the currencies. And we've been in inflation uh, almost for all of, of time from the 60s, 70s, uh, except for the 90s, in which we had a sort of like a US tether because the, the government proposed a one-to-one -one backing. So we only had 10 years of history without inflation, right? Uh, that was the only stable time. But after that, it's been a, a devaluation of the peso from that one-to-one. -one, right now, it must be over 700 pesos to the dollar. And even after these elections that happened on Sunday, when Millet came to the first place, he got 31% of the votes. Uh, the next day, the government decided to devaluate the peso to dollar by a 22%. So everybody became 22% poorer uh, one day after the election, right? And we will also talk about uh, Millet's plans if he gets to power, because we most likely will have two more elections to choose him. Uh, there's going to be the presidential election, 
and it's possible that we will have to do another election between the first two candidates, right? So it's very likely that he will win. So this is going to be uh, incredible in history and also how he's an advocate or he defends Bitcoin. We, we've known him from a few years, so we can tell also how he thinks about it and how he also got involved into the crypto world. I mean, I'm, I'm a Bitcoiner, but we're also going to tell some of the not so nice side of Millet. I mean, we, we can tell the, Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so we can tell all the good things and also some things to be cautious about. All right. So I can also, well, give the talk to Adam and Marcos, who were also in the Libertarian Party. So if you want to talk, Adam. Okay. So, hey everyone, um, I'm going to start uh, talking about a little bit about um, Millet's relationship, his career Millet and his relationship with Bitcoin. But first, uh, let me make a clarification. When once when we ran back in 2013 in this in the city of Buenos Aires elections, the local elections, we with our libertarian far right would say the mainstream media platform, we got only seven thousand votes, which was less than one percent of the total vote. I think it was around zero point three percent. Now, not finally, we may got seven million votes running on a similar platform which is surprising for everyone in a country that Ariel has told you has been plagued with Turkey's policy for the last hundred years, at least. So, so, so in order for you to understand easily, if he's a very, let's say he's a very Ron Paulian candidate. He's, uh, he reminds me a lot about Ron Paul and his campaign in, back in 2008, which I followed it closely from hearing Argentina, uh, in, several, in several senses. First, he, uh, he made the youth, the Argentine youth people, uh, be uh, hopeful again about the country because of his speech that is radically different to what we have heard. Um, let, me, let me change the mic. The internet needs not. So they have, they have, um, he has really uplifted a lot of people who was uh, really hopeless about the country because of his radical speech. He has, um, he has really, uh, you know, cheered up everyone, in particularly young people and particularly people who is uh, very poor. We have a 50% of poverty here in Argentina. So, uh, and these people, has been living in a statist country where the government tells them that there are a lot of you have a lot of rights you can uh, you have the right to health right to education right to the basic income etc cetera, etc cetera. but all of these people are out of the system and they have make they have made up their own system i think then marcos can analyze this this better and because they are outside the system they, the 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 statist discourse doesn't penetrate on them. And now moving a little bit to Bitcoin, and we can, and, and, and you can, Ariel, Marcos, uh, deep in if you want. Uh, I started Millet, a relationship with Bitcoin in a similar way of 
Rompol's relationship with Bitcoin. He's fond of Bitcoin. He likes the idea, but he hasn't gone through the rabbit hole. He doesn't understand how Bitcoin works. Uh, he, he usually presents Bitcoin as a creation of the private sector, as if it was another monetary innovation in the history of economics. But he says that he doesn't believe that Bitcoin will success because governments will try to stop it and because they want to keep their fiat privilege. So in, in short, Millet is very, very, very um, solid with his views on the monetary policy. He understands how money works, what is money. He, has, he shares our worldview about money. But he hasn't gone through the, into the rabbit hole yet. I don't know, Marcos. Yeah, uh, I, I tried to orange pit him many times, uh, meeting him, and always the conversation was okay. Okay, it's private money. Uh, I'm all for monetary freedom. So that's like where the conversation ends. It's like he doesn't care to go deeper into how Bitcoin works uh, or, or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. So, 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 yeah. Right. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Marcos Falcone. Uh, I'm a political scientist um, from Argentina. I actually met Millet like nine years ago, um, back when he was not as well known. Uh, and he was just um, starting to become known in classical liberal and libertarian circles and think tanks. Um, after that, he became, he started going to TV uh, and started quoting Mrs. and Hayek. Um, and then he just became pretty much unreachable unless you were willing to follow him um, on whatever he says. Um, so I can talk more about the, the political situation in Argentina. And I'd like to know that the, the rise of Millet in the polls and, and now uh, in the ballots um, has to do, I, I think, not that much with the fact that he may like Bitcoin or not, but because people are fed up, uh, basically, with um, the government, the previous government, and the status status quo, as Adam was saying, uh, in a country which right now, for example, has a, an annual inflation rate of 120% and rapidly growing, accelerating, uh, a currency that is um, worthless, uh, and if it's worth anything, it's uh, getting uh, less and less value every day. Um, and so his discourse is a very simple one in that he says, you know, this is a problem of politics uh, and politicians need to pay, basically. So we need to do fiscal adjustment, um, but none of us has to do it. Uh, but the politicians and, and those who live off the state and government handouts. Um, so in, in a way, it is kind of a populist. Um, he is kind of a populist candidate. Um, and in relation to Bitcoin, it's, it's funny because he one of his main uh, campaign proposals and maybe the one uh, for which he is most uh, widely known is dollarization. So, and this is curious, he likes monetary freedom, uh, but he's saying because our currency, the peso, 
is worthless, people constantly try to save up dollars and buy dollars like cash dollars. Um, Argentina, I think, is only second to Russia in the number of cash dollars per capita in the world, like after the U.S. Um, so you can imagine uh, just how much people are used to saving in foreign currency. And so what he says is, if our currency is worthless, then why don't we recognize that people like the dollar and just dollarize the economy? Um, so it, it's it's kind of weird, right? Because he he likes Bitcoin, even though he may not understand the idea, uh, like Adam and, and Ariel were, were saying. Um, but still, his main campaign proposal is dollarization. Um, so I, I don't know what's going on. I, I don't think any of us really knows what's going to happen in October. Um, as Ariel was saying, what we just had was a primary, um, but it's kind of a weird primary because it's mandatory. So everyone has to vote um, regardless of whether you like a party or not, you have to vote. And so the results of the primary are pretty much like what we would expect for the general election in October. Um, and because Millet is leading, but only with the three and four point difference um, to the second and the third candidates, which represent the current and the former government coalitions, um, we don't really know who's going to um, go into the second ballot. Because in Argentina, if you don't pass 45% of the vote or 40% of the vote with a 10-point difference over the second, uh, over the runner-up, then you go to a second ballot. Millet only got 30% of the vote. So it's very unlikely that he will get 45% only two months from now. Of course, anything can happen. Um, the government devalued um, the currency, like Adiel said, by 22% uh, on Monday. The informal exchange rate is um, off the roof, really, um, because, well, nobody really knows how the government uh, will survive, basically, because reserves are negative, like net reserves in the central bank are negative, and they're trying to uh, keep a, um, a an official exchange rate that is just uh, fictional. Uh, nobody can buy official dollars. Uh, but in trying to maintain that fiction, um, they, they're running out of money. So nobody really knows what the exchange rate uh, will be like a week from now. Uh, that may bring down the government or it may bring down the government candidate. Uh, and maybe Millet will grow and win in the first ballot. But we don't really know what's going to happen. Um, and yeah, I guess that, that's the political situation. Uh, a, a brief summary. Okay, great. At this point, I want to ask any of you can answer this, but I'm really curious about this. And then if it's okay, after I ask this question, I'd like to open it up. Maybe let Rizzo, uh, Andrew, anybody else who's up here who wants to ask questions or chime in, maybe turn it in kind of like an AMA thing. Or um, And also obviously want to give you guys time to make whatever major points you want to make. After which we're going to be moving to talk to Brian a little bit about what's going on with XRP. But my question for you right now is like <laughs> when you guys first started explaining Argentina, I was like taking notes furiously and it was just blowing my mind. Five currencies, 13 zeros. Did I hear, hear that right? Yeah, that's yep. right. 
it, it's <laughs> mind blowing. And then going from a one to one peg to the dollar to a 700 to one. Um, I will tell you right now, I don't think there's very many people, Americans or other people in Western countries who can wrap their mind around what it's like to live in a country that's going through that kind of inflation. So if you guys don't mind, would you take just a couple of minutes and explain what the hell that's like? Like, how do you buy groceries? How do people survive? Like, oh, that, like how that, do you manage your life? That's a great question. Um, so we, we've gotten used to, and I think um, Adam and, and Ariel can, can, um, can explain more, but we've gotten used to just seeing different prices, like price tags in the supermarket every time we go. Um, and yesterday, for example, after uh, devaluation, and and the the unofficial rate, the exchange rate growing, um, people reported that everywhere prices were going up just because people didn't know what, I mean, they don't know what's going to happen. And so they just, um, for precaution, they, they raise prices uh, because everyone's trying to cover themselves. Um, and one of the things that happens, for example, is that um, people are used to when they can't buy, for example, U.S. dollars because they can't access them because dollars are getting too expensive for us or for whatever reason, people just try to buy goods and services um, as much as they can because they know that they will be more expensive tomorrow or next week. Um, and so what one of the consequences of this kind of inflation is that um, many uh, goods are just out uh, because people are trying to stock up basically uh and 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 concentrate like everything that they can everything they can spend they spend because they know that if they keep the money then the money that money is going to become worthless um so that it, it's it's a fascinating uh, and terrifying experience really i mean we we've gotten used to it um i i have lived in the us and 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 in germany too so i i understand what it's like not to have that kind of life. Um, but for me, this is normality. Uh, just trying to make sure that I have everything I need or that I think I will need. And if I don't have it, just buy it like right now, uh, no matter the price, because it's going to be more expensive in the future. Um, that's at least how I live uh, under this kind of inflationary conditions. Well, I can chime in a little bit about that. Because right now I'm doing a tour around Europe with a Bitcoin band. It's a, like a sprinter band uh, teaching about Bitcoin. And when I've been to Germany and other countries and I, and I start to explain Argentina, uh, it's like the Germans, they could not believe what we were telling them, right? Uh, like when I started telling that, for example, during the 60s, 70s, 80s, we were building the same cars for 30 years that if you wanted to have a phone line, you had to wait 10 to 20 years for the state phone company to put you a phone line in your, in your house. And if, that if your house had a phone line, then your house was worth twice as much as a house without a phone line. And I, and I realized, oh my God, I'm, I'm telling the story of like a Soviet country, right? We were like a Soviet Union country before the 90s. So... Uh, what happened during the 70s is that in 1970, we destroyed the first currency. We took out two zeros. It became peso ley, 
And 13 years later, we destroyed that one in the year 83. And we took out four zeros. So that there were 1 million peso bills in that time. In 83 to 85, they created a new currency called peso argentino that they destroyed in two years. Imagine changing the currency for the whole country and two years later, it's gone, it's destroyed. So then they made a currency, Austral, that when it was born, it was worth more than $1. 83 cents of an Austral got you $1. And seven years later, in the year 92, when the peg to the dollar started, you needed 10,000 Australis to buy the same dollar, right? So that's why we've been uh, taking out these 13 zeros. And Argentines, uh, they, they natural selection, I would say, they, they picked the dollar to use as the currency that they used to save or that they used to buy a house. For example, all houses are bought with cash. There is no mortgages. There is no mortgage market. You meet up in a room and you count the $300,000 bills one by one you sign and the other person has to take the suitcase, right? And that's how you buy a house in Argentina. Uh, the cars are also sold with dollars, the used cars. Uh, so right now people are not being able to save. Like a few years ago in 2017, perhaps an average salary was like a thousand dollars a month. By the time that the current president won the the primaries in 2019, the, the peso devalued from 40 to 60, in, also in one day, because of the news of the current president was gonna win. So the salaries went from $1,000 to 650 in a day, right? So that president took office with salaries of around $600, and now salaries must be like around $200 a month. $250 a month. And if we, the only candidate that is like saying, I'm going to put 0% inflation, it's Millet. So if this doesn't end, the salaries will go to $100, to $50, to $30, just as it happened in Venezuela or in Cuba. And it's reaching the point where people are totally fed up or actually leaving Argentina. Argentina is expulsing people. Okay, question. I know I said I was only going to ask one more question, I, but I have another question. Sorry, can I ask something? <laughs> yes. When we started this space, you could get uh, $1 for 730 pesos in the black market. Now it's 790 pesos. So we are a little bit more oh my gosh. at the beginning. It's incredible. It's just, all of this is just so mind-blowing. And the thing that um, I took notice of when you were talking about this is that it, it occurred to me that see the trust is the underpinning of all monetary systems. And when you have no trust, that's when the systems fail. Like the U S dollar is only the U S dollar because people believe it. That's it. And what I'm hearing is that there is this been this consistent mismanagement of the money to the point where the people just don't trust them anymore. And that's in the fascinating thing you said about Mila is saying, well, I'm going to take it to 0% inflation. Did you know 
that in the Weimar hyperinflation, they basically said the same thing to to introduce a new currency and stabilize it. It was the only thing that 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 caused people to calm down and trust it. So that is mind blowing to me. Uh, and maybe Argentina is ready for this. This is, this is very exciting to me. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens during these weeks. They're gonna be, I mean, they're gonna define the future of Argentina. And also, some people in Belay's uh, entourage are also pro Bitcoin. Yeah, there is a, a the number one candidate for the deputy, uh, a woman, Diana Mondino, that we tried to invite for this space, but she was busy that she's pro-Bitcoin as well. Uh, perhaps we can also chime in a little, perhaps Alan can do it, about uh, the dark side or uh, things that we believe that perhaps he did wrong regarding the, the, the crypto space. Yes, okay. I, I, can, I, I can talk a little bit about the dark side, but first I, I just wanted to like provide some more context of what's going on right now what Alex asked before about how like going to buy groceries work. And what happened on Monday is that people didn't want to sell anything. People would ask for a price and it would say, we don't have any price because we don't know how much it will be the dollar at the end of the day. And we will end up with pesos that are worth nothing and we won't be able to, you know, renew the, the stock. So everything paralyzes. And, and and even now, uh, I I read uh, Marcos tweeted a, a couple of months ago that he was in a bookstore and there were no prices in the bookstore, but but there were units. So this book is worth five units, and instead of changing the prices of every single article, they will just change the price of the unit, and it will uh, and in that way they can adjust prices way easier and uh, with less cost and 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 and, and quicker. So. Uh, Yes, it's very, very crazy times this time, but we're used to it. And, you know, the, the human being is very adaptive, species. And because this, is the, this, this doesn't happen overnight, you, you, you are like, uh, like a frog in a, you know, in a, in, a, in a hot water pot that boils slow, that is slowly going to boil and kill the frog. So you learn how to survive in this context. You learn a lot about economics. You learn a lot about... A finance and what is a default and everyone here knows what is a bond and what is a, a letter or a note. So the context makes you uh, get informed or otherwise you'll you'll get you'll get uh, you'll get screwed here. And regarding the dark side of uh, Javier Millet, I think it was an unfortunate event that happened back in December 2021, if I'm not wrong, a couple of days before he um he he you know, for 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 his seat in the congress and uh he he was invited uh, to rosario a large city uh some three hours away from from the capital and he was uh invited to promote a ponzi scheme like called coin x which was related you know an affinity scam related to bitcoin uh so so that was the dark spot, and he didn't back down. He didn't uh, retract it. And a couple of weeks ago, the the the, the Ponzi scheme fell, and now they are facing some uh, legal troubles, I believe. So okay. I think let's, that's 
let's do this. If it's okay with you guys, I'd like to open it up uh, for questions. Uh, let's cover what's going on in Argentina for about five, 10 more minutes. And then I want to move on with Brian uh, and start talking about what's uh, the most recent situation with XRP. But uh, are, is there anyone up here on the panel who has any questions for these guys or if you're in the audience and you want to ask questions? Um, and if any of you who came up to join us today uh, in regards to Argentina have any major comments that you want to make, give me a hand and we'll call on you uh, to make your major comments before we move on here. I can uh, chime in. Can you hear me? Yes. Go right ahead. Good morning. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, and thank you guys for joining and giving us a, a peek at what's going on. It's fascinating. I can't believe you just, the exchange rate just changed uh, while we're on this space. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, this seems to maybe have caught some people off guard. Like, I, I guess I would ask, you know, was this something that people expected? Um, and then part two would be uh, in the, you know, two or three days since it happened, you know, has the conversation changed? What have you seen as like the the impact or the effect of uh, this primary in the in the past few days. Yeah, so uh, if I may, um, this was clearly an upset. Nobody was expecting Emile Wing, uh, and that's a very important uh, thing to to know. So thank you for the question. Um, pollsters were placing Emile at about fifteen to twenty percent tops, um, and that was well behind uh, the two main coalitions. Uh, which were placed at like 30 uh, to 35 percent. He ended up being on top with 30 percent. So this was clearly an upset. And this is uh, a scenario that, for example, financial markets hadn't really priced in, hadn't really taken uh, into account. Um, and so what we saw, for example, uh, on Monday morning um, was that Argentine stocks, for example, fell uh, up to like 15 percent. Uh, they then made a partial comeback. Um, but for example, the unofficial um, dollar uh, price, the, the, the unofficial exchange rate rose, and we are actually experiencing um, a live currency run. Uh, as Adam was saying, when this space started, uh, the price of the dollar was uh, 730 pesos uh, per dollar. Now it's 790. So, um, the conversation has clearly changed because now everyone is trying to um, just understand what a Malay government would look like because he hasn't really announced any major uh, ministers. Um, he hasn't really made that many alliances with the current um, political system. Um, and so it, it's unpredictability is something that markets don't like. Um, and this is exactly what the Millane win uh, has brought. Uh, now, of course, nobody knows if he's going to be able to keep up in October. Uh, for example, we're going to have a debate, a presidential debate. Millet is a notoriously bad debater. Um, so we, we don't know what kind of effect uh, could that have. Um, and we didn't have that before August. Um, of course, uh, devaluation could continue. Um, this currency run may not end. It may bring down the government candidate. Um, any number of situations could happen that make us uh, uncertain of what's going to happen. But the conversation has clearly changed. Everyone was expecting a win by the main 
opposition coalition. And so eyes were on them and their primary, which was an actual primary because there were two um, competing figures, uh, the Buenos Aires mayor and a former minister of security. Um, the minister of security won, but now it's like nobody's really paying attention to her because she's only the runner up. So uh, everyone is looking at Millet and what's going to happen with Millet. Wow, thank you. All right. Hey, Any Alex. Other... Uh, yep, I go just ahead, wanna... Yeah. Uh, regarding what, uh, what you asked before about how people uh, made their life day by day, well, you know, markets always provide a, a solution when, when there's a problem, and we have a, a huge problem here. Uh, but, you know, there are now several, uh, at least I, I use three of them, uh, fintech companies that let you live uh, out of uh, Bitcoin, obviously, on even stable coins. So many, many people that I know, including me, uh, we don't use pesos anymore, which is, uh, well, I'm fortunate because I, I earn Bitcoin, but most of the people that earn pesos and use these fintech companies, they just uh, send a bank transfer to one of these companies and they immediately exchange the pesos for uh, USDT or, or whatever stablecoin or even Bitcoin or even uh, some crappy shitcoin, but uh, that's not important. So uh, these companies provide you with a Visa or MasterCard, debit card, so you can go to the groceries and just swap your, your card. And even when you don't have pesos there, they just uh, take the money from whatever balance you have in any currency and, and make the instant exchange in the moment that you make the purchase. So you now can buy, uh, live here in, in Argentina without using pesos. Sadly, and this is really disheartening for me. Uh, most of the people don't know about these new things that are available. But yes, we have ways to avoid using pesos uh, in, in Argentina. All right. I want to thank all of you guys for coming up and sharing your experiences. It's really mind-blowing and it's interesting to me to hear what life is like in a country where it, with these kinds of levels of inflation, it's interesting to hear, um, you know, the, the thoughts of the people in, in why this gentleman apparently is getting so much traction. It's fascinating. Uh, and, and that the other, lastly, the other thing that's really interesting is the ability to instantly convert into another currency uh, we're in a we're in a completely different landscape, man. You, you couldn't do that. There was a point in time where you simply couldn't do that. There were not companies that provided things like this. Uh, and then this just shows that that change sort of in the general landscape, regardless of whether somebody thinks fiat is right, whether somebody thinks Bitcoin is right. This the rails that are being built today, not just in Bitcoin, but globally, digitally. And the fact that we have so many human beings coming online, um, 
that can basically just participate in these systems. You've got Starlink that's covering every inch of the Earth with internet here in the near future. Um, much of it is already covered. You've got access to these kinds of things. It's going to give human beings the option to basically just move. <laughs> They'd be like, I don't like this currency, so I'm going to move. And the fascinating part about that is, is that that will, in my opinion, and I my hope is, like that will thwart a lot of this CBDC nonsense that's coming down the pipe. It's just a fascinating time to be alive. All right. Let's keep rolling. Once again, thanks guys for being here. Greatly appreciate you guys giving us a brain dump. Maybe we can do it again as uh, the, the election proceeds. Let us Thank know. Thank you, Alex and Swan. And we try to Thank take you. the APT or some of them. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you guys. Now it's 800. Bye. <laughs> 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 All right. Um, Want to shift over to Brian Jacato. This gentleman, uh, as I mentioned before, American lawyer, he has written several different threads in regards to XRP that uh, I found fascinating. And I'd like to get a, a little catch up with you and see what you have to say about these things. I want to preface this by saying the very first one was an analysis uh, where you reviewed the district court ruling on XRP. And uh, you said that it rests on very shaky ground. So that's the first thing that maybe you can address. And then next, in order, the two things that I want to hit after that are the SEC is asking Judge Tor Torres to certify an interlocutory appeal. Perhaps you can tell us what that means and what its significance is. And then finally, um, you wrote a thread that said the SEC told Coinbase to delist every token except for Bitcoin. I found that to be incredibly an incredibly important event because, you know, Brian Armstrong was out there saying that he had like something like 30 plus meetings with the SEC, but he never revealed that they told him to delist everything except Bitcoin until just recently. I think that's fascinating and I think it's incredibly important. Uh, and then the rest of your tweet was essentially saying, let's see what the, the SEC's legal theory is and how it pans out in the long run. So Brian, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Alex. Um, so yeah, to kind of touch, the, take those three things in order there, the shaky ground that I talked about in that initial thread was, and, and some of y'all y'all may have already heard all this, but um, the Judge Torres essentially did something that other judges that have had the, the occasion to examine crypto token offerings like Telegram's token offering or Kick's token offering. She bifurcated the analysis in a way where the judge says, okay, well, if if the if the issuer, the cryptocurrency issuer, were giving out sale contracts to you know institutional investors separately, that these these contracts for sale of of kind of pre-mined tokens, those would be covered by the Securities and Exchange Act or the securities regulations and things like that. But the kind of blind bid, random programmatic sales wouldn't be. And um, that, to me, there, there, there's no under how under the Howey test. That was a, a very novel way to approach uh, the analysis and one that I don't think is really supported by the, the weight of the case law. So, you know, and it's also pretty counterintuitive, too, when you think about what the Securities Act was designed to do. And remember, this comes out of the 1930s Depression era um, regulations where a lot of kind of retail got fleeced, got, rug, got the rug pull and everything. And it really led to the Great Depression. Um, and so the, the act itself was designed more to protect retail investors and, and ensure that the people who are offering these things 
we're doing the appropriate amount of disclosure and doing the due diligence so that you know regular folks don't get rug pulled essentially and you know that's how that's how most judges have approached the token offerings to date and uh, judge torres in this decision sort of turns that on its head and says well let me protect essentially and again you know protect i say that word that's the way the act is framed by congress uh, you know, you can agree with that or disagree with what you want, depending on your viewpoint. But uh, Judge Torres said, let's protect the institutional sophisticated investors, ensure they have all the due, all the, all the due diligence done for them. But retail, you know, don't worry about it. The, the uh, securities regulations don't apply to you. So it was very um, counterintuitive from policy perspective. And it also was, uh, it, I didn't think it really held up well under scrutiny when you're actually applying the Howey test to both of these uh, token sale token sale um, methods. So, okay. so the, oh, go ahead. the thing is about that, I mean, I'm not an attorney, not a judge, but when I read the Torres, I don't know whether it was an opinion or whatever, a ruling or whatever, I thought to myself, you know, if you're trying to say that something is not a security just because it's sold on the secondary market, that's insane to me. Like does that, that doesn't even make any sense. Yeah, and, and and the the it was a motion for summary judgment ruling for um, you know, just for your edification, but uh, yeah, the 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 ruling itself actually has a specific footnote that says I'm not going to to address whether secondary market sales are securities uh, offerings. So secondary market sales of the XRP would constitute securities offerings. So it's it's pretty limited in its in its scope and what it actually accomplishes. So I, I think the reason why it's uh, yeah, I, I just am I I, I real I, I um thought that it was rested on shaky ground was in part because it misapplied the, the Howey test, but it also was very limited in its scope. So, you know, to the extent that Ripple was kind of parading this out as some, some great victory for them. I mean, it, I, I, I do think it was a minor victory, but you know, it didn't address the secondary market sales and to the extent it addressed programmatic sales, I, you know, I think it was legally insufficient. So a lot of the theories that the Ripple attorneys advocated for in their briefing were actually outright denied by judge Torres. So that's a, I think it's, on the whole, a very problematic ruling for Ripple because where it won, it won small, and where it lost, it lost pretty big. And that includes the utility token argument, where they say, you know, um, people can use this for consumptive use, so it's not a security. The judge rejected that and uh, also rejected the quote unquote essential ingredients argument, where it basically said you have to have a contract, a, a sort of freestanding contract for it to constitute a security. So the judge re rejected that as well. So overall kind of a problematic ruling. And I think if SEC wins on appeal, which it's looking to do, uh, Ripple's in a, a very tough spot from a regulatory posture. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. The other thing that I, I thought when I, when, when the Torres um, thing came down was it, it doesn't really even address the 750 million or whatever it was that they did sell to so-called accreds, et cetera in the first direct offering, which is like, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at all these folks who are like cheering XRP on and they're like, look, we won. And I'm thinking, no, nah, man, XRP is screwed. How are they going to deal with that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the only way they deal with that is kind of disgorge the ill-gotten gains. So give back the $750 million to the extent that the ripple doesn't appeal that ruling. Um, and maybe pay some penalties and fines as well for uh, doing an unregistered securities offering. Um, the other thing too that was in that ruling that everyone made a whole bunch of um, you know hay about was 
was that the judge said the XRP standing alone is not a, a security. And a lot of folks in the Ripple side were cheering that as some sort of grand development. And it doesn't make a great deal of sense that it, it would be a, anything standing alone, unless it's specifically defined in the Securities Act, is not going to be a security. The SEC's theory here is that these were sold as investment contracts. So that presupposes some offer first. So the SEC, I mean, th their theory is that the actual transaction or the scheme is the secure unregistered securities offering, not the mere creation of a you know ones and zeros on a computer. I mean, it's the same as if you had an investment contract that stated on the on the uh, on the header that this is an investment contract for a securities offering. That's not a security until it's been sold. It standing alone is not going to violate the securities law. So the right. mere fact that, makes that sense. It, it's X, just a piece XRP. of paper at that point. Yeah. 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 Okay. Very good. Um, we'll move on to the next thing here in just a second about the interlocutory appeal, but I wanted to ping Joe for a second. Good morning, Joe Carlos. Sorry. Did you have uh, some thoughts or comments hey, on what we've discussed so far? No, I, I agree totally with Brian's analysis here. Um, and the only thing I think that is a huge wrinkle in all this you haven't talked about is just Raycoff's opinion, which maybe Brian's going to get to. So I don't want to steal his thunder. Okay, very good. Brian, do you want to talk to us about this interlocutory uh, appeal from the SEC? What is that and what does it mean? Why are they doing it? What are the pros and cons here? So, yeah, I think, uh, Joe, your, your point about the Raycoff opinion probably dovetails nicely into into this conversation. Um, so the interlocutory appeal, basically when, when these procedurally, when these cases are going on, you have all these different phases of litigation uh, where parties try to end the cases. Uh, a lot of times they'll end it at a motion to dismiss stage, which is very early on. You haven't done any discovery, haven't done any fact finding amongst the parties. Um, that's, that's a tough one, but it can happen. This was a motion for summary judgment phase. So it's a little later. It's after all the parties have engaged in discovery and, uh, they, they say, look, um, the facts being what they are and the law being what it is, we think we should win. We don't need to do a trial. So the judge here um, granted sort of partial motion for summary judgment, which means that part of the case is still going to continue to trial while part of it is, quote unquote, finished for the trial court level um, or the district court level. And you need to, typically speaking, you need to wait until the entire case is finished before you can file an appeal because judges don't like to take these things piecemeal. Uh, it's more like a judicial, a lot of times it's either a judicial economy thing or you can't appeal because there's underlying facts and, and uh, legal theories that need to be sussed out entirely at trial. But in this case, the the underlying facts are what they are. The law is what it is. And so the SEC is saying we can put this trial on pause because we think the judge got it wrong. And we think an appeal would kind of serve everybody's interest, because if we can get the law clarified in the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, you know, this case becomes very different uh, and very simple, essentially. And then you don't need don't necessarily need a trial or you can really narrow the issues in that trial. So that's what this interlocutory appeal is. But it's entirely you know, it's, it's discretionary. So Judge Torres has to agree with it in the first instance. Typically, I mean, there's a way around that, but very rarely is that is that done. Um, so Judge Torres will usually have to agree with it and issue kind of an order of final judgment on these legal issues. And then the Second Circuit has to say, OK, this is a this is a highly important issue of law that's not resolved properly necessarily. Or we want to affirm Judge Torres's resolution. So it's going to be either we want to overturn her or uh, affirm her. But it's significant enough that it requires our intervention now. So that's what the SEC is saying. We need to get this sorted out on the, you know, on the appellate court level, maybe even further up than that, up to the 
uh, Supreme Court potentially or a large on banc panel of the appellate court. Um, so th that's what the SEC has said, and that's what they're looking for. And I, I think based on what I see is it is a good candidate for an interlocutory appeal. Um, you know, the legal issues are teed up nicely. Um, Judge Torres kind of, you know, went off on her own here on this on this ruling relative to what other courts in the Southern District of New York have been doing lately with when when uh, faced with sort of similar issues. And the Rackoff ruling is kind of a perfect example of that. The Rackoff, uh, Judge Rackoff is considering a case brought by the SEC against Doquan and Terra Labs, I think it is, or Terraform Labs. Terraform, yes. Yeah, so all the, you know, the Luna folks, essentially. And they, in a recent, recent ruling on that motion to dismiss, which again, is that very early phase uh, of the case, but he wasn't, so he wasn't considering this issue directly, but the SEC uh, alerted the judge to the Ripple ruling and said, hey, just so you know, here's how Judge Torres ruled. We don't think that you should rule this way. We think it's completely wrong. And Judge Rakoff in his motion to dismiss uh, ordered where he denied Terraform's, you know, uh, uh, effort to, to end the case there. Uh, he said essentially that he completely rejects Judge Torres's ruling on the, you know, programmatic buying uh, distinction, you know, distinction between programmatic buyers and, and institutional investors. So the SEC, with that knowledge, I mean, you have a split kind of going on in parallel in the Southern District of New York. It's a really good candidate to say, hey, Second Circuit, we, you know, within this within this one district court, we have clearly very, um, very forking ideas, essentially, of, of how of how these securities, potential security sales should be analyzed. So we need you to give us some guidance. And so the Second Circuit hopefully takes that up. And in my opinion, goes more of the Judge Rackoff way than Judge Torres way. And then that could kind of trickle down to this to the trial courts and the SEC is going to be in a good position. And Ripple, unfortunately for them, will be in a very tight spot at that point. Yeah, there's also the Mashinsky case out of the uh, one of the uh, Supreme Courts in New York that came out recently. People, it's the New York AG case where they are citing Rakoff and also sort of a night uh, rejecting the Ripple Labs test. And the SEC talks about that in their letter, right? In their letter motion requesting leave to file the interlocutory appeal. They, they cite that one as well. Yeah. Yeah. So Judge Torres' uh, novel theory here has not been well received thus far in the few chances that uh, the, the trial courts have had a chance to look at it. All right. Uh, so next, I guess, is what happens now. I mean, as, as far as where they go with this, what are the SEC's options here? Well, the deadline's today, right, Brian? For the response uh, from Ripple Labs to the letter motion? Yeah, is it, if it's a one-week, typically, I think, yeah. So, if, so it's August 9th was when that letter is. So it's the deadline's, uh, if it's not today, it's very soon. Um, so yeah, they just kind of have to wait for, for a little bit here and kind of sit tight. Um, to the point about them asking Coinbase to delist everything, but Bitcoin, it seems very clear that Coinbase uh, doesn't really care. They're kind of essentially <laughs> saying, well, we, we disagree. Well, they, they never they cared, right? Like yeah. if they met with the SEC 30 times and at one point the SEC said, you need to delist everything except Bitcoin and they refused to do that. I mean, who? how can anybody be shocked that they got sued by the SEC? <laughs> I mean, it's like right. they're telling you what's going to happen. Yeah, and, and uh, their chief legal officer has kind of been uh, pretty vocal about saying we don't list securities. It's very, very con conclusory kind of analysis by 
by him that he presents to the public to say, well, we're Coinbase and we don't list securities. Therefore, everything on our platform isn't a security. And it's like, okay, but, well, I hear you saying that, but you know, there's very, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of, cla- uh, I mean, at best it's murky for, for them. At worst, the, the, the SEC has been very clear since 2017. I mean, if you look at the 2017, uh, July 2017 Dow report where the SEC offered a very public analysis of the original Dow, the one that crashed Ethereum and caused them to have to hard fork off and things like that. Um, you know, they, they laid it out there. What is that now? Six years ago saying these are securities. They, they, they real, they, the offerings that, that, that the investors bought to participate in the Dow, the Dow report categorized those as securities and, and in the ICOs that followed and the, you know, the ripple basically invented the ICO. Um, the ICOs that follow all very clearly fell into that, that um, framework. And so to kind of act like there's this gray area is really just, it, it, it's, it's, I don't want to say disingenuous, but it's, it's a, it's a reach um, from a legal standpoint. I understand it's a new technology. And but so that's, it's always hard to apply. That's yeah, essentially always hard to apply the argument, to, right? Mm-hmm. This is kind of what the, what all the, all of these altcoins have been saying this entire time is, is that because it's new, because it's an altcoin, because it's this new technology, you guys don't understand it, and therefore it's not a security. That's basically mm-hmm. the argument, which is yeah, pretty crazy. Well, and, and, and that argument has been made since the the act itself was kind of handed down. It, it's it's designed and written in a very broad way, and we can get into whether it's so broad that it's, it gives the SEC too much agency discretion. Um, but you know, that's a separate issue. It's, the, the fact is that, that that act is designed to to tackle any, all sorts of different circumstances from pay phone cards and things like that to orange groves. So the very, the fact that it's on a distributed ledger, it doesn't change the analysis. The analysis is what it is. I understand that people don't like the results of the analysis, but that's a separate issue. You go to your congressman, you try to change the law, but the, the law is what the law is. And it seems pretty clear. And even judge Torres, her, her, her opinion, it, it is, is very, very comfortable applying Howie to this technology. I think she applies it wrongly. Um, she, well, she's half right, I suppose, but um, the distinction she makes is, is, is incorrect. But nevertheless, she said Howie is very easily applied here. You know, th- there's no question about whether Howie applies. So, um, yeah, I mean, the the the, uh, the test will will go all the way up to Supreme, you know, to Supreme Court potentially. And I have very little um, doubts that the Supreme Court will say, okay, well, this is a clear situation where we apply Howie. Yeah, well, just to just to give you the answer to the question, because I looked it up, the the. The SEC requested that they have leave to file their opening brief. So again, with the letter motion, effectively what they're requesting is they're requesting leave to file a brief, right? And the brief would require them to be filed uh, by August 18th, two days from now. We'll see if the judge rules on it today. And then they would, it's 14 days for opposition. And then you get the reply brief on the 7th. But all this is a motion for leave, right? There's nothing that would prevent Judge Torres from denying the interlocutory appeal. So they don't. Yes, he might not get a chance to go up right now. They might have to wait till a final order is under. Hopefully, uh, the judge, you know, hearing the the Rakoff opinion and others decides to allow it to go up now. But it's still a question whether the appeal will actually move forward, right, Brian? Yes, yeah, this is definitely discretionary for Judge Torres. But like I like I said, um, I think the the confusion or the, the 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 split within not just the circuit of the Second Circuit, but within the Southern District of New York that kind of split occurring with all these cases going right now up in parallel, some at trial, some at 
motion to dismiss, some at summary judgment. It really makes a great deal of sense for Torres to approve this motion for appeal and I'll let it go up to the Second Circuit so that all of these trial court judges in the Southern District and elsewhere um, can get some clarity and some guidance uh, because, you know, law is, you know, it's a, it's a creature of precedent, right? So you're always looking for kind of um, guidance from above, whatever, whether it's the circuit courts or the Supreme Court. And I think all the district court judges would would enjoy some uh, guidance given the way Torres' opinion has come down and how it diverges so so profoundly from a lot what the other judges were doing prior to her opinion and now clearly after her opinion. Yeah, but keep in mind for, you know, for folks that are unfamiliar with the process, though, even if the interlocutory appeal is permitted, the average appeal, even on an interlocutory basis, takes a year. So, you know, you, you could, you know, if for those expecting clarity or resolution on this issue in the short run, uh, don't. Yeah, very, very true. Thank you. The, uh, yeah, the legal wheels spin incredibly slow. I mean, they might expedite somewhat given the, the um, nature of, of, of what's, what, what they're deciding. But, you know, as much as we like to say Bitcoin is, is a huge industry and crypto is a large industry and things like that, um, you know, they deal with big, much bigger industries all the time. And that's for, for that reason. And I don't want to get into major questions doctrine, but for that reason, many judges say that, uh, you know, this is not as big as, as we say it is in terms of just the scale uh, relative to the size of the economy and the things that they handle. So to Joe's point, yeah, definitely could be very much could be a year out before there's any 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 clarity from the Second Circuit. OK, so how does this all pan out in the long run? What do you guys I mean, there's been all there's been so much speculation over the years in terms of altcoins being securities, not being securities on and on and on and on. Um, what do you think happens in the long run? I mean, what you know, are the various it, potential scenarios? Maybe that's a better way to say it. Yeah, um, obviously, there's the, there's the potential scenario where these things are, these offerings somehow are not securities offerings, which I think opens up quite the fundraising mechanism for any any uh, potential business to just evade the securities laws altogether by you know, throwing out a, a token offering on a blockchain uh, programmatically and saying, fund my business. Um, so that's one thing that can happen if that happens. That's the that's the state of the law, and it's going to be a bit of wild west for a while. It'll be like every ICO all over again. Um, and I think at the end of the day, though, these the, the reality is these most of these cryptocurrencies aren't bad because they're um, unregistered securities offerings. They're bad because they're they're bad projects. They're bad ways to to try and like you know be the next Bitcoin and and you know these these fancy marketing mechanisms and using a technology that a lot of people don't understand and. So people will hop on the bandwagon and say, this is great. This is the future. It's Bitcoin 2.0, whatever. But the reality is they, they, go, at, they go down under their own weight. The, uh, the speculative market isn't going to sustain them forever. So I think the end result is the same either way. Um, but I think you protect a lot more retail from getting wrecked if, they, uh, if the Securities Exchange Commission kind of wins out on this one, because they're going to get wrecked either when they're declared an unregistered security or you know, quite a bit earlier than when retail speculative fervor goes through the roof and then unfortunately dumps on most of them. So um, the, like one of the things that, that is so great about Bitcoin is it just goes, it just improves and keeps on going no matter what, this is all ancillary for Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin is, and I've written a, a paper on this, but I think Bitcoin is well outside the uh, securities laws. So it's not going to, no, no matter what happens, Bitcoin is not going to be targeted by the SEC. And that's part of what makes it anti-fragile, right? It was, the Bitcoin story is doing the hard work, not doing the, the pre-mine ICO 
um, enrich the founder path. It was the hard work of proof of work. And so doing that is what, you know, it creates an anti-fragility within, within Bitcoin that these other tokens simply don't have. Um, and that's one of the reasons why it's so, so good and so, so it, uh, impossible to replicate and, and uh, that sort of thing. So to answer your question, I, I don't think anything changes. It's just how do we get there and, and, what, and what, what's the time frame for getting there? Okay. When you said that, I, you know what flashed into my mind? What are we at right now? Like 29,000 altcoins or something? That's some ridiculous yeah. number. That's like if the, if the SEC does not prevail here, what does that go to? We're going to have 250,000 different shit coins and just people getting wrecked left and right for the next 10 years. I don't know. What a, what a yeah. mess. Um, yeah, I mean, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to, I was just going to uh, acknowledge Tone Vase and Terrence both for, for joining us. Good morning to both you guys. Both of these guys um, have weighed in in the past. Terrence used to be a, a, an attorney from a very well-respected law school uh, worked with some of the largest companies on Wall Street in his history, um, and they they probably have some perspectives on this from legal points of view. Do either of you guys have any thoughts here or questions? Tone? I was going to let Terrence go first, but um, no, I don't really have much to add. That was uh, uh, really enjoyed uh, listening to all that. And uh, yeah, but Alex, what you said, again, I've been saying this for a long, long time. And I do think that eventually uh, SEC will fail and the shit coins will prevail. And uh, I've been accused of being like pro SEC this whole time with the law shows and stuff. But uh, remember, and we discussed it on the show before, my ultimate vision is that this decade, the United States will lose its uh, you know power over the world. And the SEC's ability to dictate to the world what is and isn't security will be nullified to zero. So at some point this decade, I expect the SEC to have zero global influence. And therefore, a world of a billion altcoins is coming. And then after a decade of that, uh, there may be some kind of you know normalized realignment. But I am mentally preparing for a world where every company and potentially every individual um, has their own token. Uh, I do see that as the future by the end of this decade. Uh, hopefully, wow. they're not going to be very useful because people will recognize them as all complete trash, but I do see the world going in that direction. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow, that's a freaky scenario. You going to do tone coin? I'm not sure yet. Okay. Mickey Koss? <sighs> Hey, Alex. Yeah, so I wrote, I think it was back in June, but I wrote that article about uh, Bitcoin-only exchanges and Forbes. And I just, I remember this shitcoin guy coming to critique it, saying, yeah, well, you know, Coinbase and Kraken grew 10, 100, 200 times faster than, you know, Swan and River and the other exchanges. And it's just, it's just kind of funny that, like, that's the one metric they focus on. But at the same time, they used all this bullshit to grow fast. And at the same time, it might actually be their undoing. So it's just, I don't know. It's it's interesting how, how those things circle back. Just like fiat fiat culture and fiat techniques of, of growth at all costs, no matter what. And then it might actually be the thing that's that's actually destroying your company in the end. Yeah, that's fascinating. 
Terrence Yang, good morning. Good morning, my friend. How are you guys? Great comments by everyone. Uh, I already follow Brian and Mickey and, of course, Tone. If you guys don't, you guys should. So I was very happy to see Brian be a Bitcoin lawyer, which is not that common. So it's very cool. Um, I had a question or comment for you guys to reflect on. Uh, just kind of a little bit spitballing. But to me, um, all these all these altcoins, they're either unregistered securities, basically um, digital penny stocks, right? Because they people go into them, trading them like penny stocks. And so th those are registered, right? And they're offered by registered boiler room shops or bucket shops, but they're still registered and, you know, have some regulation over them or they're gambling, again, the speculation, or they're kind of illegal, um, but gambling without a license. And, you know, you can't play Baccarat unless you go to Vegas or some, you know, Indian reservation or something. And meaning like Baccarat, not um, craps or something like really, really bad odds is is why I, how I think of these uh, cryptos. And then uh, lastly, if there's stable coins or something like that, DeFi, they're basically illegal money market funds or you're doing kind of these bank products, lending products or bonds without a license or without registration. But I wanted to see what Brian especially, but also, you know, the rest of you guys, what you guys think of those theories. I don't see them advanced by the SEC, I know there were six law professors who uh, probably getting donations or just uh, being influenced and psyop by A16Z and others to write this amicus brief in support of, uh, against the SEC. I think it was in the Coinbase case uh, pushing for dismissal. But if you guys have thoughts. Yeah, uh, actually, on the amicus brief, I only have—I've really only briefly looked through that one. I haven't given it a, a, a solid read. I do understand that they're the the professors are talking about their the need essentially for the the formalized contract, you know, a formalized contract with post contract obligations, yeah. post sale obligations. Um, and again, I yeah, just they, think that. Yeah, I, sorry, uh, real I just quick. Think that, they completely dismissed the. Uh, they completely dismissed the. Um, this is not, this is clearly not a security. And I was like, but it looks like, like people treat it like a security. Their way they're trading this shit is basically like a speculative penny stock. Yeah. Yeah. Or I mean, gander, I, I, but. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they, 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 yeah, the, the, even the, the offering of ripple is, you know, cross border payments, right? Um, that's their stated offering. They're going to streamline this and it's going to be great for everybody. Yada, yada, yada. Um, but nobody's buying it for very few people. I, I imagine are buying it for cross-border payments. They're buying it to, you know, rip it on an exchange, put it in your pocket for a little while, and sell it to someone else who, who thinks it'll go up more than you do. Um, I mean, that's 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 quintessential securities behavior. Um, and, and even in the offering documents, uh, or excuse me, in the court documents, uh, Ripple, it's noted that Ripple says, "Hey, help us find utility for this token. We don't know what it's going to be yet. Maybe you'll help us find it." You know, it's just pure speculation and. Um, and it's, it's helmed largely by ripple. And so the, these are very clear, like how prongs. And so to the extent that the SEC isn't advancing other court sort of more gambling style arguments or bucket shop style arguments, 
Um, I think it's just because they're so honed in on this that and they, they feel that, you know, this is just clearly an investment contract as that term is understood since 1946, when the Howey test was sort of created by the Supreme Court. So it may just be that they're, they're you know, they, they've got limited briefing space and that's the argument they're advancing. Just jump in here, guys. Yeah. I'll let Joe go because yeah. I have a question. Uh, I mean, so, so again, this is, I, I know that folks like Brian and I disagree with it, right? But you can't, you can't say that the argument is, is entirely uh, uh, without a basis, right? There's, there's f plenty of, um, I think, logical reasons why they want to differentiate this market. And one of the, one of the reasons why is because just because you expect a return on whatever you're purchasing doesn't necessarily transform into security, right? Plenty of people go out and buy comic books, rare collectibles, baseball cards. They buy these things expecting to be able to flip them later on, okay? But the key, you know, uh, issue raised by the law professors and their, their uh, amicus brief is that, you know, it has to really be to, to transform itself into an implied in fact contract um, from an investment contract standpoint. It has to be something where you're expecting uh, profits from a business, from a business venture, not merely from buying some asset to later, you know, then flip it. Okay. So that, that that's the key distinction. I don't happen to think it's right. Cause I, I do think that the real core of the investment contract analysis is the economic realities test that, you know, what is really going on here? These are people raising money, promoting a token and people are flipping it, uh, you know, for, because they're, because they're relying on the efforts of others. They're relying on the, the original promoters, but you know, the, the, the law professors, uh, I think, you know, they're brief. It's not, you know, completely illogical or unsupported in my view. Yeah, and I don't mean yeah. to imply that, you know, you, you have to have bad, you'd be in a position of bad faith to be leveling the arguments that are being leveled by these parties and the, and the amici and everything. Um, but I do, like, even Chad Torres, I think, rejected the, the necessity for a formalized contract. So it is strange that it's, every other judge that I've seen have been pretty much on the same page on that. Um, with respect to these digital token offerings, never really requiring a formalized contract. Um, and so it's, you know, it, it's not a very compelling argument, but I, I do agree with Joe. It's certainly not a bad faith argument or an absurd argument. I just think, you know, it, when you're applying these, again, old laws and old, old um, precedent to new tech, you do, you do get these hiccups where um, there's maybe a disconnect between uh, the parties. But um, yeah, I don't, well, I don't not... find it particularly. Sorry, Brian. It, it, it's not a formalized contract. That's not what they're saying. They're, they're saying that, that it's it's a bargain for exchange, right? Because the very nature of an investment contract is an implied contract. It's not mm -hmm. it, it's not necessarily like, you know, we, we, there, there was a contract, you know, when people think contract, you know, lay people, mostly they think like a written document, right? You can have a contract, uh, or a verbal contract, you could have an agreement, like, t you know, we, we could strike a, ben a bargain, I'm going to cut your lawn, you pay me $5, and there's never any piece of paper. Right. And, and what what, you know, the Howey analysis is the reason why it was supposed to be so flexible is because there's an innumerable amount of schemes that can exist where courts after the fact will look and say, OK, what was really going on here was you had an expect you were doing something, you were contributing something of value and you had an expectation of profit based on that exchange. So we are going to imply a contract. So that it's always right. an implied implied in law contract analysis with, with Howey. That's the whole point. Certainly. And, and the precursor to the Howey test that a lot of people kind of paper over sometimes is contract, transaction or scheme. So even a tra simple transaction, it doesn't make sense that the court would 
use those instead of just saying if it was supposed to be a contract formal formalized or otherwise um and only a contract then it doesn't make sense for the court to say to add transaction or scheme but they do add that in the precursor to the howie test so you know the the argument goes that there's some rationale for that and that is to cover these more informal um more kind of uh, loose loose agreements and arrangements and things like that Tone. All right. So I have uh, two questions. So one, uh, Brian, what are your thoughts on what the SEC is going to do in regards to Binance and their token? That's question one. Uh, The more interesting one is what the SEC has already filed uh, against Richard Hart and Hex. And we discussed that with Joe Colosari and other lawyers uh, on the podcast where it seems weird that the SEC is just going after him for like 35 or 12, 12 million dollars of misusing funds. And one of the lawyers suggested, well, why didn't Richard Hart just pay them the 12 million uh, because he's supposed to be a billionaire and have the case just go away? Uh, where do you see that whole thing headed? Yeah, the, the Richard Hart case is... Um interesting i actually don't i don't know to answer your question why yeah why that fine couldn't just be paid um if unless that maybe the sec's okay pay the fine but then but then also admit that you violate securities law and stay out of this industry for three to five years or whatever they would do in a settlement so that could possibly be it joe i don't know if you have any insight on that yeah no it's Um, not it's that that, that's incorrect so 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 the, the 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 allegation of 12 million in the complaint okay is against Hart directly. Okay, they said that he misappropriated twelve million of the Pulse Chain investor assets. But make no mistake, I mean the 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 entirety of the complaint is suing multiple entities, which they allege are the alter ego of Hart. Like for example, Pulse Chain and PulseX, they are not separate corporate entities. They 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 are fully controlled in, uh, by by Hart. That's how it's pled in the complaint. And right, because the, he never he never created any entities, which could like screw him at the end. <laughs> yeah, no, it will. It absolutely will, because that's the, that's their allegation. But they're, the reason why the twelve million is separated out is because they have evidence that he he misappropriated twelve million. However, you know, various other allegations and complaints say six hundred and seventy million in total were raised in an unregistered manner. So, so they they are seeking disgorgement of the six hundred and seventy million. Well, great. Thank you, Joe. Yeah. Um, and that this, with respect to the Binance question, I have done less less reading on that particular case. So I'll let Joe handle that, too, if he wants to, if he's had a chance to read it. Not sure if Joe knows he's muted. Yes, sorry. What was, what was the Binance question? I missed that one, Tony. I apologize. Oh, there was no specific question. Just I'm curious, where do you think the Binance case is going? Well, you know, going back to what Brian was talking about, which is this, um, you know, this letter motion to the judge, one of the bases and what's one of the citations in the uh, in the letter is uh, about uh, about the Binance case. They say, you know, we need this interlocutory appeal because you have all these other cases that are pending, for example, the Coinbase suit, the Binance suit. They really hinge on this issue of secondary market sales, programmatic sales. What, What is that transaction? Is that transaction one? Uh, one that could be you know, characterized as investment contract. It, it affects all this other litigation. So it's quite possible. And, and again, I would not at all um, be surprised if you had a result where Judge Torres uh, permitted the interlocutor appeal and 
than you see stays or partial stays in some of this other litigation. Um, I'd be curious as to Brian's thoughts on that. I haven't heard a lot of commentary on that. Right, because is there a big difference between the Ripple token and the Binance token? Oh, well, they would say yes, but, you know, <laughs> of course they would. Yeah, um, as far as the, yeah, the stay, I, I, I do agree. The, 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 the rationale that the SEC has is we've got a lot of uncertainty. It's not necessarily there's a lot of uncertainty, but there, I think there's a lot of need for legal clarity. Um, but they have they filed so many cases. They've really started this deluge of, of actions against all these various players. And if, um, you know, the underlying problem, the underlying uh, token is not a security through, through something like a programmatic sale, then it really affects these cases um, in all of these different districts. So, um, you know, it's, it's, I think it's incredibly important for the industry and for the judges to have to gain some of this clarity. Um, and I think you, you, if you get the appeal granted, I, I say, I would see the SEC moving uh, for stay in all of those cases, uh, except maybe the, the, the clear, obvious outliers um, because, it you know it will it will change you know everything depending on how it comes down in all of these different districts. Now, if you're outside of the Second Circuit, you don't necessarily these courts don't necessarily have to follow what the Second Circuit does. Um, and the Second Circuit is kind of that northeastern area of the country. But uh, nevertheless, if it's persuasive and well you know well well thought out, courts will adopt it um, regardless of what, what where they're situated. Just keep in mind for the Binance suit. There was a, um, a need by the SEC, at least, a, a perceived need for an immediate uh, order from the court. That's why they filed the original TRO request, which is not typical, right? And part of the basis for that tone was this issue that you know there might be commingling of the international and the domestic assets. There might be capital flying overseas, so we need to safeguard and protect investor assets. And the finance lawyers successfully sidestepped that by agreeing to a consent order where they were required to provide an accounting, right? They have failed to do that within the court's deadline. They sought an extension, um, and we'll see. I mean, that's the real critical hot-button issue in the Binance case, this issue of the accounting and if they're going to be able to deliver on this. Because as the SEC alleged in its complaint, there were numerous misstatements, not only by Binance executives, but even the Binance lawyers had to keep you know, pivoting and changing their, stu their stance on when they were cooperating pre-suit with the SEC as to how much assets were held by certain accounts. Uh, that's never good, right? So in terms of like what's going to uh, bubble up first in that case, the accounting issue might might really be the, the key thing to watch. Gotcha. Now, it just seems, I don't know, it seems weird. It's like, uh, you know, Al Capone eventually went down for tax evasion because it couldn't get him on real crimes. And it feels like they're going after Binance and these minor technicalities when, like, you know, the, the, the real thing is staring them in the face. How is the Binance token? Uh, not any different than the Ripple token or any other security offering. It's just kind of insane. All right. Any uh, closing thoughts in relation to XRP, the challenges that they've got going on, what the SEC does next, or the future landscape of any of this stuff? before we start moving on to next topics here. No, just I think uh, to, to kind of recall what Joe said about the timeline, I mean, I, everybody's going to want instant clarity on this. And um, I think it's important to point out that even, even with the expedited, even with the granting of this interlocutory appeal, 
the expedited nature of it. Uh, you're still looking at months, maybe years before you get a resolution. Um, and if it goes to trial, it's a heck of a lot longer than that. And um, so it, it'll be great when we get it, but it's going to be, it's going to be some time. So kind of hang on to your hats and enjoy the, uh, enjoy the chaos for now, because I don't think it's going away anytime soon. Awesome. <clears throat> Excuse me, Brian, thanks for being here today. Do appreciate it. Would love to have you back some other time. I think you read some great threads. Um, and I do enjoy reading your analysis. Also shout outs to Joe and Terrence and tone for been out with this part of the conversation. Um, I'm very fortunate in in my view to to be able to have guys like you with your expertise around who uh you know we're all fortunate and it's not just me just being able to hear from your perspectives to learn about this kind of stuff do appreciate you guys absolutely thanks so much for having me it's great to be on a on a bitcoin only podcast I always love that <laughs> yeah it, you know when you said that it just made me laugh because I was thinking about <laughs> when you that there's a meme now, another Bitcoin podcast, but yeah, uh, it's really good. I hope that we see Bitcoin podcasts bloom like, you know, a thousand, what is that saying that one of that, the, one of those dudes over in China had a thousand flowers bloom of new companies or whatever. But to me, it's like, let's, let's see tons and tons of podcasts. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's a great thing. Absolutely. Get the content out there. Thanks again Get the for having content me out there. You're welcome. So thanks for being here. We'll do it again if you want. Uh, shout outs to Shane Hazel in the audience. Also, Geyser, um, who is going to be joining us shortly. I want to shout out to you guys, throwing you guys all invites if you want to join us. We have a few minutes left before we dive in with Geyser, so we can talk about whatever you guys like. And if you're uh, at your uh, microphone and you want to hit some stats, now would be a really good time. I am. I, I didn't have time chain stats up, but I'm pulling it up right now, so I'll be right back. Okay. Rock and roll. Let me know when you're ready. Yeah, it looks like right now, it looks like we've got 387 exahash per uh, second on the seven-day average hash rate, uh, moving average. Looks like in the mempool, we've got about 381,000 or so uh, mempools. Uh, mempool size right now, uh, you know, the default is 300 megabytes and uh, mempool size right now is 761 megabytes. Still the fastest fee, uh, eight sats per V-byte. In the last block, uh, the average fee rate was nine sats per V-byte. So the average fee, you know, less than a dollar, 2659 sats, 2659 sats, basically average fee in the last block. We have 36,535 blocks to go until the next halving, which is about 253 days to go, depending on, you know, what you're tracking there. And uh, currently down 58% uh, from the all-time high in, in USD terms. And, uh, of course, we're up 75% year-to-date. All right. Good morning and welcome, Aaron Wise. Do you uh, have something you want to comment on or something you want to ask? Hey, Alex. Yeah, just a couple of quick um, 
Sorry about the background noise. Just a couple quick factual corrections. Um, the SEC, as the commission, the five commissioners, did not ask Coinbase to delist everything except for Bitcoin. That was one or a few staff members who were working at the SEC. Um, over 5,000 people worked at the SEC. And Coinbase has acknowledged that, um, that it wasn't the commission, it was just a staff member at the SEC who made that request and it wasn't an official commission request. So just on that. Um, there was another one about um, BNB the token. So I believe the SEC has designated BNB the token as a an unregistered securities offering, the ICO of BNB. Um, so that's underway. And then um, the final thing was the EO sale. The EO sale is commonly cited at the, the headline figure of, I think, $4 billion. But the government contractor, John Griffin, who did the analysis of that, um, found quite a bit of wash trading. And I think the figure was approximately $360 million. So EOS didn't raise $4 billion. It was probably under half a, half a billion. Um, and so if they bought voice.com, if they gave, uh, I think it was $80 million to development grants and staff and salaries, at the end of the day, they might have only had maybe $25 million left. So they might have basically settled for everything that was left at the end of the day. It's not actually the most outrageous number when you do the math, but it does sound outrageous when you, you know, say four, four million versus 25 million. So just a couple of things. Hey, hey, Aaron. Uh, hey, good to see you, Aaron. Um, on the EOS thing, I thought if you're talking about EOS itself, I thought their foundation, they had billions of dollars of Bitcoin. Um, yeah, it's a lot to get into. Um, maybe it could be another topic, but I, so I'd have to, and I'd have to pull it up because it's been a long time, but I remember reading the analysis that, you know, there really was only maybe $350 million raised, uh, okay. of which some went to block one, which was um, originally held by the entity or, or it wasn't subject to that proceeding and it was being litigated elsewhere. And then, you know, they tried to do this back public company and it was washed around, et cetera, et cetera. So that money is still out there, but the money didn't necessarily come from the EOS raise that was the subject of that litigation. Gotcha. I, I'd have to pull it up again, but anyway. it's a good question. I, sh I actually should refresh my memory to be sharp on it still, but it's been so many years. All right, gentlemen, let's uh, switch gears a little bit. Uh, I want to welcome up Mick, the CEO of Geyser to the stage. Good morning. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. There I am. Hey, guys. Pleasure to be here. Uh, super interesting conversation so far. Uh, I guess in context, I, I bring some good news or we can talk about Bitcoin and all the crazy clown world that, um, that we're seeing around <laughs> from Viet XRP to yep. you know, Argentinian uh, hyperinflation and, and so forth. Yeah, of course. So uh, again, welcome. Really glad you came today. Um, a little bit about Geyser for those of you who don't know. Um, Geyser is a, a funding company, if I'm saying it right, that basically helps uh, develop various different initiatives, 
Um, and there's a geyser fund now. And I guess the objective of it is, is um, to help with great educational initiatives. I won't steal your thunder. I would love to hear from you about what you guys are working on, what you think is uh, interesting right now, and uh, these different projects here. No, that's, that's fantastic. I, I love to hear uh, other ways of, of explaining geyser. I think that's totally, totally fair. Yeah. So very much, um, we geyser is a, uh, yeah, it's a, in some way, a crowdfunding platform that, uh, or our funding platform for creators. Uh, and, you know, we started geyser because we realized that we had, you know, the, that Bitcoin is, is not only incredible saving technology, it's just a better money all around. Um, so uh, it's great for when it comes to microtransaction. It's great for for borderless payments. It's great for the power of interoperability, interoperability that it enables. And what you find is that uh, the, the money um, uh, that we live in today is just so so fragmented. So um, you know the very very call, so basically crowdfunding is is one of the kind of use cases that that Bitcoin uh, makes possible. Um, but in, in, in you know type of borderless crowdfunding, so anyone around the world can raise funds for whatever idea they may have, and so it's really connecting us, right? Bitcoin is this this incredibly powerful thing that is helping us connect, um, you know, Facebook, Twitter, and so forth, help us connect information borderlessly globally. But uh, Bitcoin is enabling uh, this connection to happen uh, when it comes to the realm of value. So we can share value borderlessly around the world and helping forge these new, new relationships, these new, uh, these new kind of uh, connections around the world. So, and so, yeah. So that's you know we started Geyser with with this idea that there were so many Bitcoiners out there that had these ideas of the you know wanting to launch projects, and we noticed that the community was wanting to su support some of these initiatives. So we started off with um, one one guy from Nigeria who wanted to do a Bitcoin conference. And um, through the help of the community, he raised, you know, with over 150 individual donations or over $2,000 in just a few weeks and was able to kind of throw a small uh, seminar-like uh, conference that, you know, uh, thanks to the support of Bitcoiners all around the world. And so that really taught us that, you know, this idea can go uh, a long way, that if it wasn't for Bitcoin, uh, it wouldn't be possible for him to use things like Kickstarter or GoFundMe because, they only work in like 30 countries. So Bitcoin enables Geyser and Geyser sort of enable enables creators to, to, to launch their ideas. And so what we're seeing right now is that there's three main categories of creators. We have Bitcoin educators, right, that are using Geyser to raise funds to, to push Bitcoin uh, education further. You have uh, creatives like artists, musicians, filmmakers, uh, and so forth that are uh, in some way also pushing Bitcoin education, but through the realm of arts and creative kind of uh, ideas. And then finally, you also have communities that are coming together uh, uh, to kind of, you know, it could be meetups using Geyser to support their their meetup and pay for drinks. It can also be like a bigger Bitcoin community like Mi Primer Bitcoin or Praia Bitcoin that want the support of the community to, 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 to make some an idea happen. So it really is a way for uh, anyone to start playing a role in Bitcoin by um, uh, by by launching their ideas and turning them. And what Geyser does is that we turn ideas into projects, right? And help to create a community around those projects. Um, and then you can also be involved by 
contributing and you know uh, we see so many creators coming together and helping each other out as well so it's really becoming a community uh, um, a collective of create creatives and creators uh, bringing their ideas to life through this platform so that's the main kind of thesis of geyser right now happy to kind of uh, talk a little bit more about some of the some of the cool projects that have uh, been taking place on Geyser right now. And, yeah, um, and then also talk it. about Geyser Grants. So I don't know. I, let me, I think when it comes to like popular projects, I think uh, things like Mi Primer Bitcoin have done an incredible job. At, and I look, to be fair, like they, 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 they're, you know, a lot of these projects would do great, great work just by themselves, right? But what we're doing is that we help elevate them further. We help, you know, bring more donation than if needed and help kind of the, the contributors feel part of that, that community. Um, and uh, to do that right now, uh, uh, it's mainly through funding, but down the line, we have more features coming together that will enable contributors to feel more more a part of, 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 of these projects. Um, but yeah, Mi Primer Bitcoin has done incredible work of just bringing Bitcoin education to uh, to El Salvador. Um, uh, you have pro creative projects like Bitcoin trading cards, uh, films like The Case for Bitcoin. Um, you know, really, like right now we have over 800 individual projects. 40% uh, of them come from countries that previously did not have access to crowdfunding. And so... It really ends up being a place where the, the, the on, the, this new online economy is sort of unleashing itself, right? It's, uh, it's like the, the, the internet enables free flow of information. Bitcoin enables free flow of capital. And so it's, it's these two things together are incredibly powerful. Uh, and so we see this, this uh, uh, you know, this really this growth uh, of, of, of creators all around the world uh, doing bringing value to the Bitcoin ecosystem because most projects getting most funding are directly related to Bitcoin as Bitcoiners that, that want to get their hands dirty, want to play a role in the, this Bitcoin, this peaceful revolution and want to uh, get support from the, from the community. I think it's so, fantastic. Uh -huh. You know, like uh, you're starting to see more and more eyes on Bitcoin in terms of funding different projects. And I think that's fantastic. <laughs> uh, it wasn't always like this. Like, you know, if you look at the amount of capital that poured into various different altcoin projects from VCs, et cetera, over the years, the amount of money flowing through those channels um, has shrunk substantially uh, recently. And I think it's great to see Bitcoin-related projects that are that are getting funded. Yeah, and, and part of that is, is exactly right. It's, it's, um, it's also helping showcase that there is a lot happening uh, in the ecosystem. Uh, it's, it's, you know, a lot of the crypto people like to say Bitcoin is a dead rock. Uh, well, we're showing them with Geyser that there is a lot happening. And a lot of it is just plain and simple education, educating the world around like, why is Bitcoin important, right? Like, we're not going to move Bitcoin, you know, uh, not even a single bit, if we don't have people making films about Bitcoin. If we don't have people making uh, incredible incredible cartoons and uh, newsletters and podcasts, you know, we have quite, I think around 20, 30 podcasts on Geyser as well, that they use it as sort of uh, tip chart. 
um, we're not going to bring Bitcoin to the world if you don't have people writing books and um, and creating communities. So, you know, that, you know, my, my main call to action here is, you know, check out the projects and guys, right? These, these are the people that are doing insane work to push Bitcoin adoption. Uh, they are the heroes uh, that that will bring Bitcoin to the world and will make these, you know, these dents in the world. You know, some of these some of these films, like Case for, Case for Bitcoin or Dirty Coin, will reach tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people, right? Like this, this is how we we orange build the world is through these creatives and these these educators that that are pushing Bitcoin further. And one simple way to 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 make this revolution happen is by supporting their their causes, right? And so you can contribute. A lot of these creators also have rewards, so you can you know get badges and and. Um, all sorts of you know perks from them as well, and be, be featured as a as a producer. So that's you know my my main my the way the main reason why I'm here is really to to show these incredible projects that are out there on Geyser. And let me uh, let me see here if I can find it. Yeah, so this is this other one, um, and and they're they're doing incredible work. Um, the other thing I want to mention is uh, is this thing that we call uh, the Geyser Grants. So we've been doing uh, these. So apart from me and crowdfunding platform, we also uh, help push Bitcoin adoption. Um, you know, push support these creators through uh, actual uh, grants, and the grants are only possible thanks to uh, some anonymous Bitcoiners that are basically saying we want to support Bitcoin education. Just Let's create a, a board and help to basically spread the sats around to people that are doing valuable things. So so far we've we've donated around 2.2 Bitcoin through through uh, these anonymous Bitcoiners, but also thanks to Bitcoin companies such as uh, Blink, which uh, supported us for the for this fifth grant. Andrew, by the way, is here if you if you want to join in and um, and um, give a shout out. Um, feel free to join join in. But I'll also mention like Albi has been incredible in the past. Uh, uh, Wallet Satoshi um, and a Orange Pill app, and I think there is another one I'm I'm missing. Uh, well, Zebedee as well and Guild. So Bitcoin companies are, are are making these these grants possible, and they're going entirely to the creators. So um, the current grant, which is focused on education and Bitcoin communities, which I'd love to speak a little bit more about, is um, uh, right now we have one Bitcoin that we'll be donating to, uh, to, to these projects that are applying. And um, out of the, yeah, we have around 50 applicants and we have a board of eight board members that will be reviewing the applications carefully and then basically determining how we how we how we spread the funds basically so but i, I want also give the chance for andrew to come up because they've done great work uh in the past and and, and helping us make the, the the grant uh possible what's up uh hello again uh good to hear from you <laughs> <laughs> wait well, you're all over the place bro <laughs> i am all over the place uh <laughs> in more ways than one but uh, welcome I, back I mean, Thank you. Uh, yeah, 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 you know what it is. Proof of work. You know. There you go. This you go. guy's doing the work, and therefore he is like totally involved in life stuff. Go ahead. Yeah. No. I mean, I can't say enough positive things about Geyser. Um, yeah. With uh, you know, we were lucky to sort of 
partner up with this Grant 5 as it's focused on uh, education and Bitcoin communities. And um, yeah, the Blink wallet, which is formerly known as Bitcoin Beach wallet uh, for, for anybody curious, uh, is, I mean, it's built for bottom up Bitcoin adoption, right? It, it was built in El Zante um, and is built for education in Bitcoin communities, right? And so we're super stoked to be part of this grant. And as part of the grant, um, we've been reviewing or listening to presentations from the various uh, communities that have done that, that have submitted their proposals. So I think we've done maybe five so far. Um, and you can go yeah. to the Geyser Twitter page and maybe three or four um, uh, uh, presentations per, per session. Um, and my mind has been blown. I mean, you're talking about every corner of the world, Africa, Canada, you know, Latin America, the U.S., um, all these different types of projects that have different take different shapes um, that are all kind of bootstrapping with very little funding. And I think one of the things I just think is so important about what Geyser has unlocked is when a project is young and new, um, it's, it's like a little plant or seed, right? Like it, 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 it needs a little bit of attention to get rolling before it can kind of um, become the sort of the, the, the level of it or provide the level of impact that we know that they can. Uh, good examples. I mean, Bitcoin Beach, we're all familiar with that. But um, the ones communities that have followed or projects that have followed like, you know, Bitcoin Akasi, you know, you guys may have seen recently, you know, Aubrey Strobel, uh, you know, produced that uh, Lecker feeling film. They raised you know, like a bit over a Bitcoin maybe for that. Um, but that was like two years in the making. Right. Um, it, it, the, the, the Bitcoin Akasi guys have been have been putting in the work for a long time. And the and the funding that they got started with was like. Um, millions of saps right like like not, like little bits here and there and i think like what geyser has enabled is is the amplification of these projects around the world so yeah uh, just cheers to to the projects stoked to be part of it yeah uh, th thanks for that andrew and i totally agree we've actually heard from some uh, some other smaller initiatives it was uh, there's bob spaces and others like an accelerator based in thailand and actually, I was there for the for the Thailand conference a few months ago. But uh, what what they told me was, you know, they, they actually won uh, the previous Geyser grant, and it wasn't much; it was just a few hundred dollars. Um, but that was like a signal for them that they were on the right place. Like that, okay, um, something's happening here. We're getting recognized. We're getting showcased. Um, we also are part of this community of people that are applying to these grants, and we can see kind of at a landscape view what is happening, and you know. We are not, no one's doing anything similar to what we're doing here in Thailand. So let's keep on going. So they, they were able to, to bootstrap themselves, as, as Andrew said, and um, kind of start off providing very, very you know, basic support. And then what they did is that they went to the HRF, which was able to provide them tens of thousands of dollars in grants, right? Which, um, which is obviously other level. But Geyser was that sort of initial bootstrapping mechanism for some of these Bitcoin communities and, and educators that maybe have an idea and they're not sure. And Geyser just gives them that that initial Geyser grants gives them that initial initial uh, boost. So um, yeah, so super excited about you know really and you know we're so like so bullish, right? So so bullish, like and being part of this of, of seeing all these creators doing the work and contributors from all around the world giving funds, right? Just to give you an idea. Um, you know, we've given away 2.2 Bitcoin so far in grants. That isn't that much, but we've received over 22 Bitcoin from contributors all around the world, 60% of which was pure donations, 
So over 10, bit, 10 bitcoins of, of just pure donations being sent to these creators doing great work, right? And then the other 40% is people buying things on Geyser, sort of uh, purchasing rewards, a bit like Kickstarter. So there is something happening here. There are reasons to be really, really bullish despite the, the news about XRP and, and Argentina. Like there are people doing incredible work on the ground, uh, pushing Bitcoin adoption and, and bringing sound uh, sound education uh, and, and spreading sound signal around the world when it comes to Bitcoin. So um, I also want to particularly bring attention to what this chart here, uh, the Bitcoin is a borderless movement. We're seeing these are basically the regions that are funding the most, right? A lot of the funding comes from North America, probably the United States, Europe, and then South America. Uh, but then if you look at the projects that are applying to the grants, a lot of it is, uh, look at that, right? So you've got Africa is you know, insane amount of activity happening in Africa, a lot also Central America and Europe, uh, and also North America. And what's also interesting when it comes to North America is that you also see Bitcoin appear in a grassroots way. Like there are people providing Bitcoin education and, and, and prisons, right? There's meetups. Um, uh, there are projects in Mexico arising communities over there. There are, there's even a, a proof of uh, workforce project supporting Bitcoin education in, um, in these types of uh, 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 type of like workforce kind of environments. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, basically really bullish. I said a lot there, I'll, I'll stop and maybe start taking some questions. Sounds great. We got about 10 minutes left. We'll do a little Q&A, maybe give you some chance to make some closing comments, and then we wrap. Gabe, Lord, good morning. Welcome. Do you have a question or a comment? I do. First of all, a comment. Um, fantastic job. This is an amazing initiative. I'm on the website now looking at it, and yeah, fantastic. Great job. Uh, question about the um, process for launching a project. What What is the the basic criteria and what can what can that application process be expected to look like when launching a project? So launching a project is straightforward and there is no criteria. Uh, you can just launch a project um, very much, you know, very, very simply. All you need is is a Twitter or Noster account to basically tie your social identity to your project. And you need a lightning address or a node to connect it to it. So at Geyser, we're entirely non-custodial. We just route the payments, send it over across to your wallet or node. So we, we cannot freeze funds. You know, we, we don't want any, we don't want to touch, we don't want to be custodians. We don't want to uh, hold any funds. So it's it's that simple, right? So you can have a wallet of Satoshi or actually uh, I very much recommend Blink uh, um, uh, to, 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 you know, use a, your Lightning address from Blink, plug it into Geyser, and then we route all the payments going through directly to your to your wallet. Super super smooth and easy to do. When it comes to and then that's it. We we only we you know we do very very little curation as long as we you know you don't promise any equity or shit coins or that type of thing. You know we we have no um, no interest in like uh, moderating. So we're just careful. You know uh, you know if there's explicit or rude comments, we might reach out and ask about that. But uh, yeah, we're very, very hands off. So go ahead and just create a, create your project. And then when it comes to the grants, it's uh, 
you apply through the project. So again, it takes one minute to apply. Just go to geyser.fund slash grants, click on grant five, and then just apply through your project. And basically your project is your application. Mm -hmm. uh, simple as that. That's great. Um, and another follow-up question, if I could, please. So once projects are approved, what are some of the options or what, is, what are some of the common methods you see for uh, for them to promote their projects um, and to, and of course, to uh, report out progress of their projects to, I guess, sort of communicate an ROI to those who are who are contributing. What does that look like? Yeah, really, really good question. Again, um, so right now with Geyser, you can write these things called entries, which are like articles, and that's the main way that people can report back on like the progress and what they're doing. And uh, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. It's you know writing a long form articles. Uh, as mentioned, we, we do have some updates going forward with, that will make this even smoother. Uh, you should be able to write posts that are much more short and much more kind of to the point. Um, and then what we've seen work is that using your, excuse me, um, um, using the Geyser, your Geyser project URL in your bio so that people can, whenever they look at your tweets, whenever they look at your bio, they click on your project, on your Geyser project and are able to fund you very easily. So making it easy for people that follow you uh, to, to, to make a donation, maybe whenever you have an update, uh, share that with your, with your community, with your followers. Um, so yeah, this stuff, type of, you know, showing proof of work uh, is also really, really important and it can all be done through these entries and in the future through these more short form posts. Excellent. Thank you. I appreciate that. Cheers. Thanks so much. All right. Any other questions from the audience? If you want to come up, you can come up. You can also ask questions in our Telegram group. That's t.me forward slash Cafe Bitcoin Club. And then we'll uh, give you, Mick, a couple of moments, make some closing comments before we wrap the show today. Sounds great. Mick, is the are the applications for five still open, and and do you have the sort of the timeline on on when that uh, gets read out? Yeah, good question. So uh, the so the applications for for the Geyser Grant Round Five will end uh, next week, so we still have one week to apply. Um, so yeah, this is you know your your last chance when it comes to Grant Round Five. We usually do a grant every uh, either quarter or or semester. So, uh, but this is a, you know, this is a big one, you know, one Bitcoin. Uh, if you see Bitcoin go up, I wonder if we'll be able to keep this up with the one Bitcoin, hopefully. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you have a project, if you have an idea, if you're, you know, not sure, if you just want to just uh, get started with Bitcoin with an idea, it might be a good time now to launch it and to create, create a project for it on Geyser and then uh, apply for it. Uh, it's really, it's really straightforward. We're also very open to feedback very open to learning and growing with the community. So if you have any issues or suggestions or, or feedback, feel free to reach out to, to us here on geyser.fund or metamake14 and happy to you know learn, learn with you guys. Um, so yeah, I think in terms of like my final closing remarks, my, my CTA, my call to action would be just if you're curious about what's going on in Bitcoin, Geyser is a pretty good place where you can find out, you know, uh, geyser.fund can help you just get a sense of what's going on in the Bitcoin ecosystem. You can also contribute and, and push Bitcoin adoption further, faster by supporting some of these great initiatives. Um, 
you know, it's really amazing the level of, of rigor that a lot of these projects have put together. And, you know, the more you can, we can support them, the, 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 the better and faster they can push these projects out. Um, uh, and I, I really firm believer that these are the projects that are going to be pushing Bitcoin adoption further. So if you also have ideas, Geyser can be a place for your idea. It could be the home for your idea. You can uh, get us covered. People can make donations really easily with Lightning, with on-chain. Uh, soon we're also going to uh, enable uh, other forms of payment as well. Um, so, yeah, so so go ahead and, you know, guys, uh, the home for all. So, um, yeah, so that's pretty much it in terms of for, 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 for that. And then, uh, yeah, always the, the, the applicate. You can also apply to grants, which are going to be live for one more week. And uh, this can help kind of bootstrap your project idea into existence. But um, yeah, that's pretty much it for me, guys. It's been a, a awesome, a blessing to be to be here, learning from you guys, learning with you guys. So there's no other further question. I am, I'm, I'm good. Thank you, man. Thank you for being here. Thank you for what you're doing for the ecosystem, all the different projects that you're helping get funded. This is this is all get on the mission type stuff to me. It's all about adoption and about helping this thing grow, doing what's best for Bitcoin. That's such a good way of putting it. So getting on the mission, 100%. Yep. All right. That's exactly it. Hope. No, I'm glad you agree, man. We say it every single day in here, probably to the point people are like, oh my God, they're saying it again. Yeah, you're damn right we're saying it again. Because that, that's what this is all about. Exactly, yeah. We, we say similarly, similarly play, play a part. You know, play a part in, in this either by... By, by putting your ideas out there, start a project, or by helping support project, contributing to projects, and, and become part of the project's communities. Fantastic. All right. We have two minutes left in the show. Open forum. Anybody have any thoughts, comments you want to close with here? No, that's it. I mean, Geyser, I should probably say, uh, behind the scenes, we are a very, very small team, but it would not be possible without uh, the amazing work that goes you know, in, in building Geyser and, and uh, improving Geyser. So I see here Stelio Satz. He's our CTO, co-founder of Geyser. He's, you know, uh, without him, Geyser would not be possible. So shout out, big shout out to him. Um, shout out to Lee, who uh, has actually made this, this call possible. So Lee is... Uh, our grants operation, you know, uh, superhero. He makes Geyser grants uh, possible as well. Without him, it would be uh, insane. Um, I, we also have other members that are probably not here, but you know, shout out to Sazal who's building the front end. Uh, shout out to Awal for building the, the, you know, working on the designs. And um, and again, thank you, Andrew and Blink for for making. Uh, the grants possible and uh, the anonymous Bitcoiners behind the scenes that are giving us sats that we can spread to uh, very valuable initiatives. So yeah, thank you all guys. It's all been, it's all thanks to the, the broader community that we can do this. So uh, very much appreciate it. Awesome. All right. Thanks again for being here. That's a wrap. Tomorrow on Cafe Bitcoin, we have Ch Steve, the chief toxicologist of the rally bitcoin meetup and creator of utx oracle coming on uh so that should be a very interesting discussion hope you can make that coming up at 1 p.m eastern today we have an all-new episode of swan signal with jimmy song anita posh and hosted by sam callahan if you haven't gotten your tickets for pacific bitcoin yet 
you can still do so. You can use promo code CAFE for a discount. If you're considering doing VIP, you want to know more about it, shoot me. I'm happy to talk to you about that. Uh, and then finally, you've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news. Preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. Also a podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin, the sponsor of this show, my crew, Aunt Peter, Sats for Life, Wicked, Dom Bay, Producer Jacob. I'm your host, Alex Danzik. Work with Swan. Shoot me a DM if you want to know more. You can also shoot Terrence a DM up here. Although he doesn't directly serve clients anymore, he's a great liaison with the company. Anything that has to do with uh, building the global wealth part of the company, he he's running it. So you're welcome if you don't mind, Terrence. I'm like telling everybody to DM you. <laughs> Thanks again to all the speakers who come up here on the regular. Appreciate you guys and what you do, teaching people about this bright orange future that we call Bitcoin. Also what we call getting on the mission. Love you guys. Everybody have a great day today. Get out there and crush it. <laughs>